0: that I appreciate that Um, we've got so many people do amazing things to get this service together and uh, but if you were looking for Broadway perfection that's not our gig Um, and and we just uh, really appreciate the fact that uh, that you give us grace for that and uh, that there is just so much work that goes in and people that are willing like Tom to jump up when he wasn't expecting Uh, and uh, I just, I I really appreciate all of you, Uh, and Josh does too. Laura surprised Josh with a weekend away. She's been planning it for a few, uh, for a while, but then she uh, told him about it just in time to pack, Uh, and so that's where Josh is, Um, but uh, I already knew that I was, I was preaching this weekend, and so uh, praise God that he gets out there. Um, For those of you may may be wondering about this, uh, our police department's doing a fundraiser for the, uh, uh, for the Children's, uh, uh, Child Advocacy Center, and so um, much to my wife's chagrin, uh, I will be uh, sporting a beard for most of November uh, with that. So uh, um, I got to shave it off on the 7th because I'm giving a speech in another uniform uh, that it wouldn't look good in, but then I'll start growing it again. So one day of reprieve for my wife and family uh, for that. Let's, let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for uh, what you have done for us that uh, you see uh, through all of our appearances, all of our uh, uh, all of the, the facades that we put up, you see our heart uh, and, and somehow you still find us uh, lovable in our unlovable state, uh, despite everything that's in those hearts, uh, that you call us to be uh, your children, uh, that you give us a promise of an inheritance. We praise you for that. Amen. First Peter uh, um, chapter one, verses three through seven are our memory verse that we're doing, and, and they say, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day, at last times. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise and glory and honor. As we pass through the fiery trials of this life, Scripture tells us that these are the results of genuine faith, a faith more precious than gold, a faith in a salvation that God has promised and is ready to reveal, a salvation guarded by God's power for an inheritance in heaven, a relationship with that same God that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, an inheritance made possible through the living hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, provided through rebirth according to God's great mercy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise, glory, and honor. I'm going to move this because I'm going to end up knocking these over because I feel like moving today. A little bit. I promise not to dance, though. <laughs> so, in, in, uh, in page 940 of your uh, pew Bibles, it's uh, Romans chapter 2. Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, again, page 940 in your, in your pew, bottle, pew Bibles. <laughs> a different church without the pew bottles, um, Romans chapter 2, so uh, verses 6 through 8, says, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. If we turn with me just a couple more pages to the right, it'll be page 953 in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. All right. So again, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, verse 5. It says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to, in, to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. A couple things out of that. Obviously glory and honor from the first passage and then bringing to light the things that are hidden from 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Um, those are As we approach uh, next week and the the election, uh, we have certainly seen a little bit of that which is hidden in darkness, uh, the undisclosed purposes of the heart. And so sadly, we've seen very little of what brings praise and glory and honor to God. There's a lot of talk from some of the candidates for president uh, for help for the country, uh, but there's little display of integrity From either of those two. And because of this, though each candidate promises to bring help, there's not a whole lot of hope or vision uh, for that help. But take heart, Christian. Our help does not come from the hills. Psalm 121 says, "...our help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber." And so perhaps many of you have been praying through this election cycle, as I have, in the last words of the Bible, Come, Lord Jesus, come. (laughs) Perhaps he will very soon. Perhaps he's going to wait a little bit longer, willing that none should perish. In the meantime, he calls us to endure the trials so that the tested genuineness of our faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If it's true that faith will be displayed, as James tells us, through works, those works are not what saves us, it's by grace alone, but they are the visible display of that genuine, tested, saving faith. Those works are what draw us to a person to help him or to help her. They're the marks of what we call virtue. They're the marks of what Scripture calls in Hebrew, chayil. And as we return to the book of Ruth today, we'll see that this is the word that Scripture uses both in verse 2 2, verse 1 uh, of Ruth and in 3.11 to describe Boaz and then Ruth. You can start turning... To uh, Ruth, chapter three. That word kail, is often trans- uh, translated in English as virtue or valor or strength or even wealth. In Ruth, ESV translates it as worthy. Again, if you go to t- uh, two one, it says worthy man about Boaz. In, uh, in in chapter three, it says worthy woman about Ruth. I think all these concepts are sort of bound together in a word, again, we see very little of in this election season, and that's integrity. The Theology of Work Project defines integrity as living life according to a single, consistent set of ethics. And they say when we follow the same ethical precepts at home, at work, at church, in the community, we have integrity. So let's break that down. Integrity is living life, according to a single, consistent set of ethics. But before we get too much more into the light of integrity, we need to address a story that starts with a hint of things that are hidden in darkness, a story that comprises the third chapter of Ruth. And, you know, I've been teasing uh, Josh for several weeks now of assigning uh, the task of, of reading and, and bringing the Word through the ch- third chapter of Ruth uh, to the one pastor who has two teenage daughters, and, uh, and, of course, and then he skips out entirely on us for, for the weekend. Uh, you no, know, I'm honored to do that. So let's, let's start by reading it, and you can see why this might be a little bit uncomfortable for a dad of daughters. Ruth chapter 3 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? go under cover of darkness into, uh, into the threshing floor and uncover his feet and lie down. Is this any kind of advice that you parents of daughters can envision yourself giving to your daughter? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Not at all. She said, uh, go wash up, gussy up, anoint herself with oil, probably per- perfumed oil. Sneak up into a man's sleeping area at night. Go uncover his feet and... Um, and this is, of course, after he's satisfied some of his appetites, probably drinking some wine in the process, and then go lie down at his feet. Right, that, that's pretty scandalous uh, at best. Now, some reliable scholars tell us that uncover his feet was an ancient uh, ritual where a younger woman would ask an older man to marry him or marry her. Um, and that certainly makes Ruth 3 easier to read uh, th- than it would be uh, at, at first glance. It's easier on our, our sensibilities. It's easier to accept coming from a mother-in-law who has just come back to understanding that God loves her and is faithful. But easy isn't always right. Some of you who know me may know that I, I'm somewhat active on social media, and, and some of you who have read some of the exchanges between a friend of mine who's an atheist, a friend from the Air Force, uh, and uh, um, knows that he often accuses me, uh, uh, accuses all Christians of avoiding the difficult passages in Scripture, especially from the Old Testament. And uh, to some extent, I think his accusations can be true. We don't like to dwell in the tough stuff, right? The stuff that that we don't understand of God's commands and his actions or what God's people do. That's not something that we like to dwell in a lot. Um, But, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Tim, uh, Timothy doesn't, or Paul doesn't say, um, some scripture is God-breathed. Right? No, he says, all scripture is God-breathed. And so we need to read and address even the difficult passages, and I think this is one of them. So here's some of the problems I see with the easy uh, translation the, the, or the explanation that it's just a marriage proposal. First, the word translated as, uh, as feet in most of your English bi- uh, translations is actually only used four times in the Bible. It's used three times here in Ruth, and then it's used once more. It's in Daniel. So if you turn with me, it's page 748 of, uh, of your pew Bible to uh, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. Keep your thumb in Ruth because we'll be going back too late maybe. But uh, yeah, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6, way back in the prophets. It's uh, describing a vision of a man. And so in Daniel, again, Daniel chapter 10, verse 6 it says, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. The, the word that's translated here, legs, is the same word that's used as feet, those three times in Ruth. And it's pretty obvious that it means legs, not, not feet here. So that's one hard point. The next thing is the image of the threshing room floor. So if you go forward from Daniel just a little bit further, page 755 in your, your uh, pew Bibles, but to Hosea uh, 9, chapter 9, verse 1, so... And here's where <laughs> we know we're a full gospel church because we're going to read this, uh, th- this passage word for word, and they're not words you, don't, you normally hear coming from the pulpit in the church. Hosea chapter 9, verse 1, Rejoice not, O Israel, exult not like the peoples, for you have played the whore, forsaking your God. You have loved a prostitute's wages on all threshing floors. The threshing floor was not a place known for integrity and virtue all the time. There's another fact, obviously, that that Ruth is not going into Boaz in the daylight. You know, she's going at night when things are hidden. And then later on in the story, we see that they even use the darkness of night to conceal her departure so that no one recognizes that she was there in the first place. And if we look into chapter four, we can see that there is an archaic custom uh, referenced. This, uh, uh, this idea that when we seal a deal, or back then they would, one person would take his sandal off and give it to the person uh, for, to whom he'd, he'd given that, that property to or that privilege to. Uh, and the writer of Ruth finds it important to describe that custom because we might not understand what it is uh, when we're reading it. And, uh, and, but they don't do that about uncovering the feet or the legs. And then finally, I think we need to consider the tone of the book. As Josh has rightly said over the past uh, several weeks, there is uh, humor in Ruth. uh, There is sarcasm. uh, There is some biting wit. You know, he talks about how uh, earlier uh, we see, and it just so happened that this happened. And then it just so happened. And then behold, Boaz shows up. It's there is some humor that God uses in this scripture. And I would say that, is it possible that the same God that uses the humor earlier on Ruth continues it uh, later on? Maybe he uses some wit uh, that a mother-in-law who has shown herself to be wounded and doubting of God's goodness, though she had recently seen proof of God's uh, provision, might be tempted to try to take God's job into her own hands. Maybe she might think uh, that by sending her her daughter cleaned up, perfumed, under cover of darkness, the threshing room floor, that Boaz might take further notice of her and take her under his wings, even as a concubine. I think it's possible. I think it is given that God's people, even people use powerfully by God, having a habit of doing exactly this. I mean, if we look back at the story of Abraham and Sarah, right, they are visited by God. God says, I will make your descendants more populous than the stars. Um, and then a messenger of God comes in and says, You will conceive in your old age. And still, Sarah and Abraham take it upon themselves uh, to do God's work for him uh, through the use of, of Hagar. You know, so. Was that sinful? Uh, Was Abraham unfaithful? Was Abraham still faithful to the point of righteousness? And did God keep his uh, his promises even in the midst of Abraham's sin? the, The answer to all those questions is yes. So is it possible that Naomi, a woman used powerfully by God and blessed in her distress, loses faith and tries to do God's work for him and he still blesses her? I think it is. Is it possible that Ruth, the heroine of the story, whether out of her proven obedience to her mother-in-law or, or due to a lapse of her own newfound faith, or maybe both, goes along with the scheme? I think that's very possible. And do we do the same sorts of things in our own lives uh, despite the multitude and variety of ways we've, we've been blessed. Again, I think that's absolutely true. Yet even if it's the case that Naomi uh, hatched a somewhat untoward uh, plan under the cover of darkness to force Boaz into taking care of her and her daughter, I don't think she would have pressed forward or even considered that scheme if she did not somehow trust in Boaz's character. I say this because it's very obvious throughout the rest of the book that there are men of questionable or even outright evil character out there. Boaz himself says in chapter 2, verse 9, Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? If they didn't have a history or an aptitude for molesting a woman against their will, uh, do you think he would have had to talk to them about it? probably not. Naomi certainly would, have, would not have sent Ruth to the threshing floor that night if she thought Boaz would treat her badly and used and discarded her. But instead, she says, no, he will tell you what to do. And so whether Naomi trusts Boaz to take Ruth in as a uh, concubine, or maybe in her wildest dreams as his wife, there is a trust in his character, in his integrity. Again, from chapter two, verse one, we see that he is a chayil man, a worthy man. Continuing in Ruth, uh, chapter six, so she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went down to he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Again, I think Boaz being startled plays even stronger to the idea that there's something beyond a normal custom uh, with this. Not only, though, is it obvious that Ruth and Naomi trusted in Boaz's character. But Boaz, after he recovered from being startled, trusted in Ruth's character as well. Let me, uh, if you'll oblige me, I'll do the rest of this chapter with a little bit more, more drama. Not as much drama as teenage daughters, but with some drama. At midnight, the man startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman." And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize the other. And he said, let it not be known that a woman has came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment. You are wearing, and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six bar- measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, maybe with a wink, You must not go back to your empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but setter, settle the, manner, the matter today. Again, you can see that regardless of any scandal that may exist there, Ruth and Naomi trust in Boaz's character. He calls her a worthy woman. Again, the word is chayil. So wait a second. I just said a little earlier, right, that chayil could, be, could mean integrity, and didn't I just say that integrity comes from living by a single consistent set of ethics? I did. And didn't I just say that I believe this story we just read that, that has some intrigue in it, in uh, an unsavory plan, uh, is an attempt to force God's hand. Yep, I, I said that too. So how can Ruth be a worthy woman, a woman of integrity, a woman of haile, Because even people of integrity make mistakes. Even people of integrity falter and fail. In fact, not only does God use the word Khail to describe both Ruth and Boaz, he goes on to describe many other people with that same word throughout the Old Testament, including the future great-grandchild of Boaz and Ruth, a man named David. In 1 Samuel 16, 18, we see uh, who he is and that he becomes later on a boy who would have so much faith that he would run toward a heavily armored giant with just a sling and five stones. We find a, a man with the integrity to serve a king and when that king persecutes him, not to return evil for that. A man who would eventually the crowned king himself. Yet for all the tests that God brought David through victoriously, David failed at many other times, even to the point where he committed adultery with the wife of one of his most most worthy generals. And then to conceal that sin of adultery had that man killed. Yet God still says about him, I found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. So with that in mind, let's return to our definition of chayil, of integrity. Integrity means living life, not some sort of idealized life without challenges, but one with them, one in which we are grieved by various trials. Challenges great and small, tests in which our flesh competes against our spirit, tests even like the ones Ruth and Naomi faced. Death, financial loss, loss of status, losses like we've seen ourselves in this congregation. From the stage, like those we've heard from Tim and and Bob and Carol and Karen and Gail and Ron and Kathleen and Susan and Sarah and Ben and Jeff. And if I look into the audience, there are I don't think any faces that I could say haven't experienced those kinds of trials, so many others. In addition to that kind of loss in loss, living that real life, we are also grieved by the trials of sin, sexual sin, greed, dishonesty, reliance, pride, unrighteous anger, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We are indeed grieved by various trials. And sometimes, by God's grace, we pass through those trials, showing true kail that integrity in that. And sometimes, as we read through, as we uh, live through that real life according to this this single set, this consistent set of ethics God has given us—the one that say to love the Lord with all your with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind—to love your neighbor as yourself—to do justice, to love kindness, walk humbly with your God, to learn to do good, to seek justice, to correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, to plead the cause of the widow. Sometimes we do that with integrity, and sometimes we fail those tests by not living up to these standards. And so for us mortals, there's a third part of this definition of integrity. We're not perfect as our God is perfect. What marks a mortal of integrity is when we live life according to a single, consistent set of ethics. And when we fail, we repent of that failure and turn back to God. God's word says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. When we discover our failures, we confess them and plead for mercy. When we say to our God, I am your servant, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer, my redeemer. And because our God is not a worldly redeemer, but truly 100% undefiled we can trust in him. This is why David said of him, using the same words, for who is our God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong, my chayil, refuge, and has been made my way blameless. In Psalms 18, David says, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength, with chayil, is made my way blameless. Integrity is not an achievement. Integrity is a gift. David knew this before Christ walked the earth. That it was not his own achievements which made him blameless before God, but it was God himself, the perfect refuge. Praise God for that because I stumble. I fail. I pursue my own lusts. I act in my own pride of life. And as much as I try to follow these words, even though God promises in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that when I am tempted, He will provide a way out so that I can stand up under it. I don't always look for that way out, and even when I see that way out, I don't always take it. We are humans. We fail. We sin. i had been looking for a good illustration of this, um, and uh, I, God provided me with one today. Um, so a dear woman of Christ came up to me today and asked me to write a, um, a letter of apology to somebody that she had sinned against and it hurt and she wanted forgiveness. And uh, so I wrote it thinking that, I was go- uh, that, that this was going to be put in the mail. Um, but then she said, could you please read it because she'll be here today. That is true hum- humility. She says, dear Francine, I'm sorry. I need to apologize for being angry with you for no reason. I should, have not assumed, I should not have assumed that you weren't looking for the rainbow because you were too busy. I learned later that everyone here in New Hampshire had their view obstructed by the trees. You do everything for me that I can't do, and I do appreciate you more than you can know. Please forgive me. I love you, Mom. That... That was pretty good. (laughs) I thought it was pretty good. When she asked me to read that, I said, Are you sure? And she said, Yes. That is humility. That is asking for forgiveness when we fail. That is true integrity. Thank you, Margie. I got to wipe my eyes. (laughs) There. We are human we fail, we sin, but God, right? but God knew that would happen. It didn't surprise him, and it didn't confound his plans. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He tells us that those sins, the wages of that sin, is death, an eternal separation of us and our unholiness, From the imperishable undefiled unfading glory of god wretched man that i am who will save me from this body of death but god but god in his mercy sent his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life friends without a doubt God is calling us to live as worthy men, as worthy women. He has provided us a single, consistent set of ethics to live life in. He wants us to live that consistently at work, at home, at church, and in our community. And as we dive into these scriptures and we embrace them daily, prayerfully, coming before the Lord of the universe... Acknowledging him for who he is and giving him praise and glory and honor, I believe that he and his faithfulness will build us into men and women of integrity. My challenge is, are you doing this? Are you doing this daily? Are you allowing God's word to seep into your heart through through studying the scripture? through praying, through having someone else hold you accountable and to teach you, to guide you through these times. I know all of us will fail from time to time on this. I, I definitely have. And even when we do have that daily time with God, we often find that our ways are definitely not His ways. But again, that doesn't surprise our God. Because when He fails, we have an advocate with the Father. Friends, have you turned away from your failures to live up to this set of ethics? Have you turned away from your failures and turned toward the one true God, the only one who is worthy of our complete trust? If not, I beg you to get with me, to get with one of the elders, to get with anyone here and have them pour this truth into your life, to introduce you to the one true Worthy King, who is simultaneously one hundred percent just and one hundred percent merciful. If you have embraced Him, you can also embrace this promise. And I ask that we turn to First Timothy, to our memory verse again. And we'll say this together. First uh, Peter, sorry, First Peter, uh, one. It's on page uh, ten fifteen of your pew Bibles. And we're reading uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 7. So read with me t- together. Um, if you have a different translation, that's okay. <laughs> we, we used to be in a church where they, they sang in Greek and English at the same time. I guarantee you that it will not sound as discordant as that did. Nor will it... I, I mean, it'll still sound beautiful to God's ears, I promise. So 1 Peter... Chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. As the team moves up here, Is the youth team going again or is this hymns? A hymn. Okay, as we get ready for that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being our worthy God. A God full of integrity. One who has modeled that through the life of Christ here on earth and who has provided uh, your saving grace so that when we fail uh, that we have Uh, forgiveness. Lord, we we don't deserve it, but you love us. We're unworthy, but you make us worthy, and we praise you for that. Thank you, God. Send us out into this world to preach that good news to a, a hurting, fallen world that is just seeking for relief from its pain. I pray this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.